0: On this episode, we have Nanaba Duncan and Dori Tunstall.
1: Dori is not only the Dean of the Faculty of Design at OCAD, which is already incredibly impressive, if you follow her on Instagram, you'll be able to find some really, really dope fashion inspiration.
0: I'm always tuned into CBC Radio, and listening to Nanaba Duncan as host of Fresh Air and Podcast Playlist are highlights of my radio diet. I also love the work she's doing through Media Girlfriends, which is a podcast company, a network of women and non-binary journalists, and they also provide student scholarships. All right. So first question, what kind of reader are you?
2: Um, guilty and sporadic. Oh,
1: Yeah, we've actually had both of those, I think.
0: (laughs) Yeah. A lot of of guilty readers. Yeah. So can you explain what you mean by guilty and why? Uh, Guilty
1: that I don't
2: read more. And sporadic to fill it in. Sporadic because I do my best to try and make it happen. Um, I grew up reading. I loved reading. I remember taking out all the books of one specific series in the library. And I just... Uh, after having the two kids, they're three and six now. It's just mm. a lot harder. Um, the most I've read in the li- in the last little while is because I had to do it for work, um, and it was also like really great books that I'll tell you about. <laughs> um, one is by Common, another is by um, the uh, uh, former Teen Vogue editor. Oh wow, Common. Uh, yeah. yeah, common.
0: Oh, you really? have to hear the interview. She Yo, I interview oh, common. Wow. It's wild. And then oh you my dropped gosh. your name in a freestyle. Yeah, uh, yeah what? I, yeah, I listen to it. I mean, your name I'm, I'm, is I'm
2: a CBC epic. All
3: oh, right, MTV. you are. I listen
0: to the CBC all the time. Yeah. Um, it, I love it, and it drives me crazy at the same time. Um, what kind of reader are you?
3: Um, promiscuous, um, and voracious. Mm, I love wow.
0: that.
1: I love that.
0: That's vivid. I don't. I don't feel like we need that. <laughs> That, but I do
1: I, so- do, I do, I want to <laughs> know more. I explain wanted, promiscuous. Yeah, yeah explain um, promiscuous.
3: I read anything and everything. It, it's sort of, there's not, there's very few genres of books to which I can't connect. Um, and mm. that, and, and so, so it's a thing where it's like, everyone's like, oh, you must read a lot about design or you must read a lot about mm. whatever. And it's like, I read a lot about anything that I can get my hands on, mm-hmm. even the cereal
1: box. <laughs> God, the toothpaste tube in the washroom. Really? Well, if I have nothing, I have to read. Okay, I mean. Oh, Go. So I, feel, I have to read when I'm in the washroom. And if I forget to bring something in and it's too late, I'm like pulling whatever I can to read I love something.
0: love <laughs> haven't had that yet where someone said, I'm a washroom reader. I'm a
1: washroom <laughs> reader.
2: I'm but a that- washroom reader. Toilet reader over here. Well, there are people
0: that have the, the stack. Like, there's a you can get something to put into your wall, like a little, mm-hmm. you know, that holds the books and magazines. Um.
1: Thank you. That's yeah. something now that our listeners have learned about me, too. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so let's jump into what will we go with first. Um, okay, so Gabrielle Garcia Marquez, amazing, prolific writer. Um, we had talked about Toni Morrison last week, and Dion Brand wrote about Toni Morrison um, saying that she's done for English what Gabrielle Garcia Marquez has done for Spanish, which is kind of reshape um, the potential and possibilities of that language. Um, he has two parts in this interview. It's an interview called or a book called The Last Interview. This question is brought to um, Garcia Marquez, do you really think the inability to love is very serious? And he responds, I don't think there's any human misery greater than that. Not only for the person afflicted, but for all those whose misfortune is to come within his orbit.
2: I need to hear that again.
1: <laughs> it's like a black hole.
0: The, yeah, so the, um, the seriousness of the inability to love is the question. And he responds, I don't think there's any human misery greater than that. Not only for the person afflicted, but for all those whose misfortune it is to come within his orbit. So
1: my first question is, has anyone encountered someone who has had the inability to love? Or do you feel like you might be someone who has and maybe it's an experience to maybe it's not you as like a forever
0: I don't even know if I believe in that
1: you,
2: you know? believe in
0: what? the mm-hmm. inability to love like I, I, I read this and I and, and I am I try to imagine and you know like you I, th- I think of like these like uh, dictators or mm-hmm. serial killers or like sociopaths you know, for the, I've only ever like experienced through film or literature or like you know imagination but i've never f- feel like i don't i can't think of a single person i've ever met mm. that i was like that person has an inability to love or in my memory going trying to go through so like So what is you the know,
1: background of that question then like what like what led to that question Oh so
0: he he was going through um a character in a oh, book okay. called The Evil Hour okay. um and it's Colonel um beyond i think is how you pronounce it um is is the character that they're referencing um, and that one of the driving forces mm. that he explores is this person's inability to love. I
2: feel like you have thoughts. I do. I do. <laughs> um, I think that it's wonderful that you can't actually either relate or even conceive of a person who doesn't have an ability to love. I think mm. that means you've had a, you've had a great life. Oh. I think that's really nice. Um, I. I think maybe if we were to dig deep, we've all met someone who was not able to love as much as they could because of something that hurts, hmm. or because of something that happened to them, and I think that can be a shame, and that's that's where I agree mm. with Gabrielle. Mm. I think I agree that like it's it's just such a shame because to love. To is freedom, like mm-hmm. it's freedom to yeah. allow yourself to love yeah. someone and to allow someone to love you.
1: Well, we were talking about this before, where we're our that sense of community is kind of disappearing. And so I feel like it's maybe not an, an inability to love. I think that's a unique situation where it's a, a very r- rare human, maybe that that lives in that type of state. But I do think, there are people that you encounter that can't love us or or who are so closed off um that they that it's it's not their inability and i think they can love some things and even a dog or like a plant but i think there's there's a like closeness yeah. yeah and yeah hurt wherever it's coming from
0: how does that resonate with you
3: i guess it, do, it depends on how you define love yeah like, like for me I think of love as just being open to the experience mm-hmm. of anything, everything, other people, yourself, right? Being open to all those sort of things. And I would say probably there's a lot of people who struggle with that openness mm-hmm. um, and some struggle to this to the extent that I think that they are unable to love. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a sad indictment in many ways to give to a person. Um, but I think if you if you consider the harmful behaviors, right, that we inflict on each other, we inflict on the environment, we inflict on um, (laughs) the universe, that that speaks to actually a really deep inability to love, which to me, again, it's like Mm. to be open to the connections to other things. Mm. And so I would say it's probably more common for us to actually have the inability to love because so many of our dysfunctionalities as a as people is deeply rooted in our inability to be mm-hmm. open to the experiences mm-hmm. of other people, to be to want to connect with other people, or like I said, that trauma comes from that inability to connect to even oneself, mm-hmm. right? And approach oneself with generosity. And so I think the second part of it in terms of the the wake of that inability and its effect on other people, um, that resonates really, really true if you just sit for 10 minutes and go through, you know, the news, mm. right? That that, mm. that wake goes mm. through everything that we do that's harmful to each other. I think that an inability to
2: love is really just forgetting.
1: Mm. I think it's
2: just forgetting to
0: love. Um,
1: or is it fear? fear
2: of
0: definitely fear well for me it's like if it said like dysfunction in how you love i can think of myself i can think (laughs) of like everybody i know has some form the closer you get to people the more you start to realize that there are all these things you know that are sometimes from your own life sometimes intergenerational sometimes environmental that affect and, and and warp and create dysfunction. And, and then we, you know, th- that healing journey is about trying to, like, work through and overcome th- those um, dysfunctions. But that yeah. sweeping, like, full, complete inability, Um, though I've never met, you know, like, the general of an army that's led a genocide. So, you know, at that, maybe I just haven't been in the presence of, of someone that that is that far gone, but
1: and that's where yeah. language is so key, right? Because I think we're we are relating it to our own experiences, and so we haven't. I mean, th- I think they knock on wood, right? We haven't, or we will never meet someone with the inability to love. So we like switch it a little, like, well, I have mm-hmm. met people, or I am that person who has had dysfunctions mm-hmm. when it comes to the matters of the heart. Maybe
2: an inability to love is temporary.
1: Hmm. Hopefully, Hopefully.
2: You know what I mean? Yeah. Maybe if someone is not able to love you or meeting them at a time when they can't because yeah. they had love presumably um, in the first with with the person who bore you, potentially, in the first moment, maybe. And then if they didn't, then it might be a, 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 a strong spiral from there. But I imagine there would be moments where a person would find love somehow, even if it's like mm-hmm. a snail mm-hmm. outside of your house while you're <laughs> avoiding whatever's going on mm-hmm. inside.
3: Well, well I, I, I like the idea, though. I mean, what's framed within this is that it's actually an ability. It's something that you mm-hmm. learn, and it's actually something that you're taught, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so um, I think I think we're kind of reading that as like um, a lack of capacity, but it actually there I mean Bell hooks talks about this all the time right like in terms of our let's say our patriarchal structures actually teaching people not to love teaching people to withhold your feelings teaching what's her people, book
0: what's her book the the recent one that's uh directed to men
3: uh, well Bell hooks. That recent? <laughs> uh so that's uh, the will to change the will to change the will okay. to change um yeah that one's that that's on my speed dial. In it's terms it's of on video. my
0: list. Yeah, like high up on my list. Can of you the repeat
1: books. the author's name?
3: Uh, bell hooks okay i
1: know sorry yeah, yeah i
3: didn't right i don't know think that
2: well, i know that well
0: well it's it, and from what i yeah. understand it really does break down the way that patriarchy affects men and yeah. their ability to love their ability to express their ability to
3: yeah i can pull a quote later cuz yeah. have my digital
1: and i did is your is that the book here no there's no, a, no, you no, had no. a quote okay never mind well okay speaking of dysfunctional love i did uh, so i have this zine that I came across in a community store, just on Queen West in the, the theater city. Theater Center, right? Yeah, in the Theater Center, yeah. and uh, it's by Heidi Cho. And um, I just a I loved it because I I love always supporting local creators. Um, but I'm um as I've, I've said this many times before in past podcasts, I'm kind of in the mental health community, so I just love the messaging of it. But what's really interesting is it does come from a space of she's trying to come to terms with her own I I think dysfunction with love and self-love um and there was this one um actually two passages uh that she wrote that really struck with me so the first one is can you heal without ever getting an apology which is also very egocentric um so keep that in mind and then i'm going to read this other passage that i feel like kind of explains some trauma and the hurt that we were just talking about bloodlines are complicated when your ancestral ties are lined with intergenerational abuse and violence space feels healing but lonely cutting ties feels like cutting part of the fabric of who you are trying to make sense with no roadmap to follow and it just Mm. feels like it complements that um again i think language is key right it's not in in this point i'm not speaking about inability love but there's a struggle for sure
0: Mm. what about that question yeah that question can you forgive without an apology yeah
1: can you heal without ever getting an apology Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes, I agree too. But it's
2: difficult.
0: You have to. It can be difficult. Mm-hmm. If you, I, I think, if you can't, then you're you're making your um, healing hinge to someone else's um, ability to not just have healing themselves, but also like um, to express that.
1: But I think we are growing up in an, uh, a society now, at least in North America, um, where we offload all of our a lot of our responsibilities, um, and so. What do you mean by that? I think I find that we are a society that, yes, now we're trying to be more introspective and we're trying to internalize and, like, work from within to, like, um, take our, take responsibility for our actions and, you know, be more responsible, um, people in our community and like vote come out and vote and all and all of these there's so many ways to express it but i do still think we externalize so much i think we like we're taught to like we're not taught but i think there has been a shift where um we don't we're not taking responsibility for how we're feeling or responsibility for our actions and and so that question is so heavy because it clearly is something that she struggled with whoever who, who it's interested it'll be another interesting story to learn why like where did that come from but um, I've al- I think I've always been a person who I just take on the burden rather than I put it on to others. Um, but that's not even healthy either because, like, sometimes I just, like, bottle it up.
0: Mm. Why did you both respond with, like, a, a yes in harmony to um, <laughs> healing without an apology?
3: Well, I, I, I think that, ha- I mean, that has to be tied to being a racialized woman where mm. there's so many things structurally... Um, individually, uh, where uh, harmful things are done, where it's to expect an apology Mm. is to never... If that's a precondition to healing, it's never going to happen. Or, I will say never, but in some cases, we've been waiting 400 years for an apology, a sincere apology to happen, and it hasn't happened in 400 years, let's say, at the minimum. Mm -hmm. So in that sense, if our... If our capacity for joy, if our capacity to love, if our capacity to be, just be present in the universe um, is reliant upon um, an apology from someone else, then we we wouldn't exist, right? Mm. We wouldn't exist.
2: I hadn't thought of it from that perspective, like as a racialized person, but I can say that I thought about it from um, a perspective of... uh, Attempting to be the strongest, because I think if you're attempting to be the strongest, not in a um, fighting way, but attempting to be the strongest for yourself, you can't let the lack of an apology deter your progress or to not let you um, heal, right? And so uh, I hadn't thought about those apologies Yes, there are many moments where I have just been like, well, that thing happened. I have to, you can call it forgiveness. You could call it forgetting. I don't know where you would put it, but I have to be okay in myself and I have to continue. So I continue in order to do that. I must forget or I must, here I go again, putting myself in your shoes to understand where you're coming from. And now I understand where you're coming from. And this is Mm -hmm. tiring and is often what I'm doing and now I'm moving on. But my yes was more about you know, man. If 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 I want this life to continue, or if I want to um, succeed in health,
0: mm-hmm.
2: I'm pointing to myself now, <laughs> like my health inside my heart. Then I I must I must forget about the fact that there was no apology.
3: Mm-hmm. Uh, I also think there's an aspect whenever I feel betrayed by other people. There's also that sense of like, well, actually, there is an element of self-betrayal, right? Because, you know, I gave over my yes. power mm-hmm. right? to someone else to yes. be able to affect me. Mm-hmm. And so I think the other part of that, I don't need an apology, is kind of echoing what you're saying, but also framed in the sense of that the person I need to most apologize to is myself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? Well,
1: that's,
0: that's the other side of the coin when we're talking about love, like as being something... Um, or it's vulnerability and there's fear to do that because in, you're exposing yourself to that possibility that you might have to apologize to yourself mm-hmm. for later. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to ask you on the Nanaba, on the mm-hmm. question of healing, um, part of that interview you did with Common, uh, he talks about his daughter. Yeah. That conversation, that part of the conversation hasn't left me so it's, it's this idea of him being on the road all the time and performing and, and so much of his career is, is just about all of these people around the world who connect with and love his music. And therefore, he's out there, especially with streaming. You've got to be out there and touring. Um, and then he has a daughter who's like feeling abandoned by him. Yeah. And
2: so what happens is uh, he's at home one night and he gets a call early in the morning, like party times. And his 20-something-year-old daughter calls him. And he realizes, oh, she's drunk. And he's yeah. like, okay, how are you doing? Mm-hmm. And then she kind of launches and mm-hmm. says, like, you weren't there for me. And he becomes, he admits to becoming defensive. And then later on realizing, you know what, like, I, I have to hear her. I have to really hear her. Mm-hmm. If I want to love her, I have to hear her. Mm-hmm. And uh, through reading the book, um, it sounds like he does... And, um, I mean... What's the book called? The book is called Let Love Have the Last Word. Mm -hmm. And I think if he was here, he would say that love is also the first and the middle and all the words in between. But um, when we were talking about it, it occurred to me that when you say let love have the last word, you are asking for it to be the anchor the foundation upon which you uh live your life and i also believe that saying the word let is really um it's very gentle it's Mm -hmm. gracious it gives grace by saying let Mm -hmm, love mm -hmm. have the last word like Mm -hmm. maybe you haven't all this time maybe you have before but you know what just let love have the last word. It's like word. trust. Yeah, there's yes, there's definitely trust involved there, but um again, that conversation was awesome, but it was great to see a person um with that kind of profile led us into what has been going on mm-hmm. with him. Because, I mean, you can imagine it for any artist, for any person yeah. who has children, who has to do a number of things. I have it a, a little bit, I have a tiny, tiny example of, a, of it in my life because I work mornings, but my kids are 3 and 6, so I'm not mm-hmm. there mm-hmm. on the weekend morning. So I feel a little bit of like, you know, and yeah, then when I come to- home, they're like, where was mommy? Where's And I feel a little bit of that. It is not the same as Common Sense. (laughs)
0: situation is not the same but But. it's so representative of I think sacrifice as parents overall that is made between you know work and sense of purpose and trying to be out in the world and then also um, being present and and Mm -hmm. being um, involved in Mm -hmm. things that have nothing to do with your career which is your children's lives and you see that like you know there's a whole like battle right now I saw between Brian Knight and his son coming on social media after him and then Brian McKnight responding and it's this whole thing of like feeling abandoned right and whether you know we won't dive into that one cuz that's a that's a messy situation in terms of airing that on social media but i think that point is is so many performers mm. who have children that mm-hmm. is the reality right
2: and it's not just performance mm-hmm. it's people who do things for the greater good mm-hmm. and it includes meeting a lot of people yeah. so so something it's uh, like sharing yourself with yes, the world yeah common talked about it uh when he was doing Selma mm-hmm. he talked about learning about Martin Luther King's life and how mm-hmm. this was a man who was doing something for people but there was some neglect
0: yeah well, in his I, life so in a in um Nelson Mandela's book A Long mm-hmm. Walk to Freedom mm-hmm. there's this moment where Winnie's dad is at the wedding and he turns to his daughter and says you're marrying a man that's already married mm-hmm. You know, and you are his second wife. Mm-hmm. And then he goes on to explain that, like, this work of the ANC and this work of the anti-apartheid movement, um, he's already married to that. And so you are you are going to be second. And you have to know that.
1: Well, that's interesting, too, because, like, even my personal choices, I'm not, by any, again, any means, like, on that level. And, and I'm not trying to compare myself. But I've realized kind of how... Um, A lot of my choices that I want to live has kind of is slowly taking me away further and further from having my own children. Mm. Um, I left a marriage because I wanted not just because there were so many reasons. It was a beautiful marriage. He was a beautiful man. But like I wanted to do certain things. And so I had to like make choices. Some of them weren't even like logical at the time. But like Mm. I realize now, you know, three, four years later um, why I was like also so scared to have children because I wasn't willing to to sacrifice yet because I and it's not sacrifice in a bad way at all. I don't mean sacrifice in a negative way by any means, but it was more like I was gonna choose a different life if I decided to stay married and go down that path of having children. Um so it's really interesting then to also see people who have who are married to something else beyond, you know, the physical family, um, but still have that family and now how to juggle it or how to like but then again everyone's story is different and that's mm-hmm. just what those children They might see other families and see them together going to picnics and, you know, waking up and having their mom or even their dad prepare them the breakfast and take them to school. Um, And they see that and they're comparing, but then other children are comparing themselves to their lives. So it just always comes down to, yeah, expectations and comparisons.
0: For all the listeners out there, the environment we are recording in doesn't seem to be that important because you can't see the space but to get beautiful sound whether it's for a podcast recording music or even for film tv and advertisements the space you're in and how it runs matters
1: that's why we record stay reading out of post office sound in liberty village from the raw audio to creating a sound bed and all of the magic that happens in post the difference can not only be heard it can be felt
0: so to all the creatives out there if you need great audio think post office sound Bell hooks yes. I'm so curious about what um, some of the things you've read especially in, in the book we're talking about I don't know if you found a passage um, but
3: um, let's see what say
0: I, I feel like because Bell hooks has such an interesting take on love that it, it being something that's so personal, so intergenerational, so political, um, and and connected to these bigger questions of how race and social justice is it a- intersect. She's an academic. Okay. Um, and d- just brilliant, brilliant mind.
3: Okay, so I'll choose this particular passage. It's very short, although we'll dig deep into it. So <laughs> again, this is from bell hooks, *The Will to Change*. So I quote: If a man is not willing to break patriarchal rules that say he should never change, especially to satisfy someone else, particularly a female, then he will choose being right over being loved. He will choose, he will turn away from loved ones and choose his manhood over his personhood, isolation over connectedness. Mm. Um, Therapist George Edmund Smith remembers learning early that men will respond with rage and rejection if they perceive to be out of control or making a mistake. Mm. And then she she actually talks about, this is, I think, connected to things, so I'm going to skip the quote. Only a father capable of being whole can have the integrity to acknowledge ignorance to his son without feeling diminished. Men who are whole can speak their fear without shame. They do not need to wear the false mask of fearlessness. Fathers who have been unable to share with their sons that they are afraid, they fear not measuring up to the expectations of sons. They fear that the son will see their jealousy and envy of the boy who has not yet severed his relationship to feeling, who is not emotionally closed off.
0: Wow, mm. uh, just like as a father to a son, he's seven, turning eight, Joshua, um, I think that jumps out at me. Like, I really need to get this book. I know I need to <laughs> because one of the things is like from friends and even like male figures in my life, like uh, the idea of. Um, changing yourself for a relationship with a woman was the word was whipped. Like, oh, that guy's so like, it would always, oh, he's so whipped. Like, see how he is with that girl. Mm. Da, da, da. He's he wasn't like that before. Like how he's acting now. Mm-hmm. Like, you know,
2: <laughs> no, he's just in love. You
0: know. um, <laughs> and and then he's just also human. <laughs> and this pressure to be like, no, you're you're the person that's supposed to be strong. You're supposed to be in charge. You're supposed, you know. And then that other dynamic of like with um, my son. um, and, like, he's he's a very aware person. His sensitivity is so high in situations. And it's, like, I find myself um, learning about my own kind of restrictions on my emotions by, you know, like, he, he was playing tennis yesterday on, on some path, fell, scraped up his elbow, and it was, like, bleeding. And he wanted to leave. He wanted to go home. And I'm, like, come on, man. It's a like little, like, blood, you know, like we'll clean it up, we'll take, but then also trying to be sensitive to the fact that like he doesn't want to be in the space anymore, and I'm like, I just want him to be over that and enjoy where we are, um, but like that, that little moment yesterday was kind of like a lesson of like, well, find that balance between like, letting him be tended to, letting him feel like, I don't want to be here anymore,
1: mm-hmm. but it's also you still know? a good lesson, because I still that also, whether it's a guy or a girl, right, man or woman, um, or if we want to really like male identify or female identify, I would still want to be like, it's a scrape. We got this. Like, you're, I mean, if you're really in a space, so that's also, I get what you're trying to say, but I'm also like, no, it's a scrape. You're good. You're not, nothing's broken. We can still salvage this Mm -hmm. day, like not turn your back on it. Yeah, and we
0: did. So we we basically, like I figured out this game to play with them to like, (laughs) there was like a lifeguard tower that tipped over in the lake. Mm-hmm. And so we were trying to hit the the sign <laughs> with the rocks, right? And so I kind of like coaxed them into to that challenge and because we were at the CNE the other day. So I was like, okay, you'll win a prize mm-hmm. if you can hit that thing, you know? <laughs> and so, mm-hmm. it, but it wasn't that that really got him. It. I mean, it was once the camp nearby, mm-hmm. um, they had uh, the first aid kit. So they put a Band-Aid over it. And once, mm-hmm. soon as there was a Band-Aid on it, and he wasn't seeing the blood coming out mm. anymore and he felt like okay this thing's been taken care of switched up he's like back on it like wanting to play tennis run to the beach again like would you
2: do things slightly differently if it happened again tomorrow yeah like, i talking about this what do you think?
0: i th- i think like um i saw that that all he really wanted was to know that this thing is taken care of mm. he felt like Until I go home, it's not going to be taken care of. And so he's just, like, obsessed with the fact that, like, my skin is open. There's blood. Mm. Like, I feel, like, vulnerable. I don't feel... Like, and once it was sealed... So it was, like, a little lesson of, like, what did he... What was he actually... He wasn't needing to be home. He wasn't Mm. needing to be, like, told to get over it. He wasn't needing to be babied either. And in terms of, like, you know, acting like he... can't overcome this
1: he's being very practical he just just is like
0: i need this to be taken care of
3: you know well and i think i i mean writ large (laughs) i think that's what a lot of that's a lot about what bell hooks is talking about is 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 what we need to do is actually recognize the full expression of what people are trying to communicate to us Mm -hmm. and then be able to Interpret that in the way that we're responding to their true need, mm-hmm. right? Not just their want, but their true need. And then mm-hmm. it's then, and it's by connecting to their true need that then we're able to connect with one another, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so, what she's talking about is the fact that we again, and it we live in a patriarchal society, so in many ways we all practice this, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> just, just men need extra help because there's a way in which. Um, being male-identified, you're actually identifying very closely to a certain set of expectations mm. around behavior, around feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, and so by making that choice of identifying as male, you're making that choice in many ways to, to buy into a very particular notion of what it means to be a man, right? Mm. So what she's saying is that if you pay attention to what everyone needs, which is capacity for joy, <laughs> uh, connectedness, Um, a sense of uh, respect for their existence beyond what they perform for you or do for you. And that's like basic human needs. If we're able to recognize all of that, then we have the opportunity to heal, but we also have the opportunity to heal one another or not inflict trauma on one another. Mm. Um, Because again, we're recognizing each other's true needs, which is Mm -hmm. to be connected, to feel... um, that we're not even protected is not the right word, but that we that we are seen. connected and seen, and that people will respond to us in the way that we mm-hmm. need to be responded to.
1: Right. Oh. It was so funny. I was going to ask you too, um, what these, how do you identify true needs? But basically, true needs are these universal kind of components, almost like that hierarchy of needs.
3: But it gets tricky, right? Because like again, figuring out what. How you express and receive what yeah, you need yeah. is very different from you. Very, very different very. from do we, you. Do we all
1: believe in the language love, love love languages? Sorry, love languages. Yeah, no.
2: I've heard. I yeah, I've re- I've read them. I find sometimes. them useful. Yeah, yeah.
3: Yeah, it's
0: it to that point. Um, you know, I was, I was actually in a conversation with my dad about what romance is, mm-hmm. and we were talking about it, and it's like it's not just thoughtfulness where it's like I would appreciate this, so. I'm going to do this thing for you or I thought of doing this thing for you. It's another level like has empathy, which is like um, outside of what I would appreciate. What would you mm-hmm. appreciate? Mm-hmm. You know, and
1: yeah, I was just going <laughs> to.
0: Yeah, I'm so curious about that book. But yeah, that, that idea of, of romance being um, not me doing something that I think you'd appreciate, but or that I would appreciate and doing that for you. But mm-hmm. it's like what truly would it be meaningful to you that's and the cool. level of like sensitivity mm-hmm. uh, it's so difficult because I always default to like I would like this or I would like it but well, what would be really great what would be really yeah, nice?
3: for anniversary yeah that, that's the
0: the Marge getting a bowling ball from Homer
2: I mean that's like that's kind of like our <laughs> it's kind of like the thing that we're all trying to figure out it seems as, as the two of you are talking, it seems to me that a lot of it comes down to presence mm-hmm. and being really present with somebody. Because how would I know with my seven-year-old what what he wanted um, in that moment if he scraped? I, I I would have to be so super present. I would have to, in a way, get out of my pra- parent mind, which is, I need to fix this.
0: Or I want you to be okay. Or I want this to not happen. Right. Or I right. want this not to ruin our day. Right. Or I want you... To be strong. All of those
2: things. Yeah. It, it
1: requires such presence. But it's presence and putting yourself aside for a second too, right? Yes. Because, and that's why I brought the love languages because there's these quizzes now. to go off briefly where a lot of uh, friends who are starting to date someone or even a new friendship, they ask them to do a quiz so that they better understand. Even if you don't remember it all the time, they like understand. Like, okay, cool. I like, so for instance, I like time, right? Mm-hmm, I like time. Mm-hmm. And then um, my partner uh, likes touch. Mm -hmm. Like, like love, love through touch or like something like that or, Mm -hmm. or actually does another partner or friend will like the material, not materialistic because she's not materialistic, but she'll, she likes gifts, right? And so it's to understand because it's so easy. I, I got into a huge argument, um, with a friend saying like, he's like, um. You know, it means a lot to me to get let like, you into my family or, you know, I'll invite you to these things. I'm like, I love that, but this is what I want. Mm. So like, you think you you're showing me your love, but like, okay, let now acknowledge what I need to feel loved. Mm-hmm. Sorry, so let's yes, let me move have f- on a to. book called
0: frying plantain.
1: Yeah. Uh
2: this book's called Frying Plantain. It's by Zalika Reed Benta. She is an author here in um, Toronto. It is her first book. Um And I'll just read the last part uh, at the back. It says that she artfully depicts the tensions between mothers and daughters, second-generation Canadians and first-generation cultural expectations and black identity and predominantly white society. And the the part that I'm going to read you is in the book where uh, uh, the the, the woman in it is a young girl. Her name is Cara Davis. And um, her family is Jamaican. And she had recently gone to Jamaica where she witnessed a pig being killed and it horrified her. She comes back to school in Toronto and starts telling stories (laughs) about this event in which she killed the pig. (laughs) (laughs) So here's what happens. Um, The teacher calls her mother in. Let me stop you right there, said my mother, raising her hand. She paused for a beat, And then smiled the way I'd see her do sometimes when a cashier or a waiter or a landlord got on her nerves. Miss Gold. Did you also know that I'm quite familiar with educational protocol, she said, and I believe that for a situation like this, the protocol is that before prescribing the school psychologist, the teacher must give the parent the option to take their child to a family doctor who would then offer their own referral. Miss Gold pressed her lips together, a flush of red coloring her neck. When my mother finished speaking, she cleared her throat. I ultimately don't believe that the situation is all that serious, she said. I just thought you should know. Thank you for your concern, and rest assured it will be dealt with. If you don't mind, said my mother, standing up. I got up with her. I would like to take Kara home now. In the car, my mother turned to me, her finger pointed in my face. Do you realize what you've done? Mom, I'm speaking. She snapped her fingers loudly and flinched. These people already look at me like I'm trash, Kara. Hmm. So um, Wait, can I just say, yeah.
1: can you be an audiobook like? <laughs> Oh, I would I love like to. That um, is, you have a phenomenal reading voice. <laughs> oh, thank you. Um, I, I had fun with that. Um, but uh, I
2: just like that part because I've got a child, two children who are in the school system and or um, getting into the school system and I am, I am being told that there will be moments that I'm going to be called in. Mm. I'm being told that, uh, you know, get ready because some things are going to be said to your child. My children have a, a lot of privilege and that you know we live in a quote-unquote nice area we have money like we're okay i have a higher education all this kind of stuff they're also fair-skinned they're biracial so Mm. they benefit from that and they're cute according to the world so there's all these little benefits that they have these little Mm. privileges and yet um we've already had some situations where somebody said in my daughter's class that they don't like black people so there's these situations that are coming for me, and I just wanted to pump my fist when I read this. I was like, "Yeah, you knew that thing. You were ready." Like I'm learning from this woman. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. like I guess I have to do that. That's yeah. what I'm. I'm thinking to myself, like uh, there are things that I should be
1: reading and things that I, uh, uh, I don't know how to prepare. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. how I feel. And that's what I love. That's I just to like talk about books, and then I want uh, and Dori then we can move to your thoughts on it. But I just love that books help us feel less alone, help educate us, help make us feel like, okay, yes, someone has been through this. I can do this too.
0: I think the centering of voices too that you don't always hear from, right? So that experience of how um, race is read by a teacher in a classroom where you're not there with your child, there's no context, Mm -hmm. whatever perceptions that teacher carries about you as a parent, and then you having to navigate like diplomacy, with that person, because if you, you know, they they are still over your child when you're not there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also like telling truth um, is like, you know, and, and to have that in literature in a moment kind of expressed in a way where it's a part of a story, but it's also so instructive totally. um, and affirming to, you know.
3: It's great. <laughs> uh, I just see, I was thinking of all the times in which like, my mother had to come in and advocate for us, like, my sisters and yeah. my brother and I. And it's... Um,
2: Can you give us one example?
3: Um, <laughs> is it, uh, the one time I got in a fight that I didn't start to protect my younger sister, I remember her coming... So this was about... Third grade. And again, I'm like straight A student teacher's pet, so I never got in trouble. Never got in trouble. And I remember um, because we used to be able to walk to our school, so she walked up to school with me. And this is so, Indianapolis, Indiana is where I grew up. And so, this is the time when you can actually paddle students. (laughs) I don't think you can do that anymore. Um,
1: (laughs) Chris is like, no.
3: (laughs) So, So, I remember her marching us back and then literally marching us to school. Uh, meeting with the principal and basically chewing her out in in the sense of just getting her to recognize that um, the context of this fight, right? One, protecting younger sibling, which is always good. Two, not instigating, but defending and responding. Mm -hmm. And then three, being a person who, like that fits within the moral code of our family and it fits within the moral code of our society and so the punishment of that is basically giving her a wrong lesson mm-hmm. around what mm-hmm. she how she is supposed to be in the world and particularly as a person who's bright talented or whatever her job right is to use her talent to defend mm-hmm. other people right and so so that kind of always Stuck with me, that sense of like, um, because I get in trouble all the time, (laughs) mostly because I like, again, it's like a consistent pattern because I'm normally defending someone, right? Like I, I have to work harder to defend myself. But if I, the only thing that triggers my anger is if I see someone abusing their position over Mm -hmm. someone else. And so to have that, again, third grade, right, to have that impulse to defend and know that it is actually my, in f- spite of sort of whatever social institutional structure saying that you're supposed to just sit down and be good, um, to have that validation very early on from my mother was is really important in terms mm-hmm. of um, shaping my character mm-hmm. and again reminding me that even if I do get in trouble with institutional powers, there's a higher calling Mm. Um, to whatever trouble I might be making.
2: Did she speak to you at all about what she would have preferred you to have done at all? Or did she say, like, I I mean, Mm. was there any reprimand at all in this situation from her to you?
3: No, because once I explained what I was doing, right, once I explained the context of what I was doing, then it's like, because, you know, every time you get in trouble, there's that sense of like, you know, we did get spanked. (laughs) um but it was a thing when i and what i guess i think she allowed me to explain Mm -hmm. which is really important just didn't Mm -hmm. sort of take that thing and then in hearing my explanation it's like well yes we teach you to do this and this and this and this you're doing all the right things that we're teaching you to do so in this case it's the principal who's wrong and we don't want them teaching you bad lessons Mm. right
0: that's powerful
1: Um, and what's so powerful again from that and it like encapsulates everything we just talked about is being heard having the opportunity to be around people who will listen to you who will ask you questions who will not necessarily validate you will will like tell you if you're wrong when you're wrong but also like yeah shape you wow it's such a young
0: age we we have a closing question i just before we get to that (laughs) i just you you or you read a lot about Octopus. What's <laughs> mm-hmm, what is mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. our octopi? I don't know what <laughs> it, <laughs> that, that t- sounds We can tasty, tie it into But um it what's what's one thing that you didn't expect to learn about people by reading about
3: octopus? <laughs> that are <laughs> We assume that higher levels of consciousness is a very human thing. I mean, like we're saying, okay, elephants have it and, you know, Dolphins. higher mammals. and um, But, like, to think of an octopus having the things that we identify as being very human... Uh, ability to um, solve puzzles that we've never seen before right mm. the ability to change and adapt to our environment in a conscious way like the mm. the changing the modeling of their skin that's a conscious act that and they it do it, like I, right. need right yeah. wow. yeah. I need to
0: be purple yeah
3: yeah and they're colorblind so that <laughs> makes it even more amazing so the to to be able to imagine an octopus's consciousness in a way that is resonant with human consciousness, again, it's that thing where we are so ignorant in terms of what we're doing in the world without realizing that um, all these things that we think are of lower, lower order of humans and thus we should have dominion over them. They're so brilliant Mm -hmm. in their own existence, not Mm -hmm, just how mm -hmm. tasty or useful they are. (laughs) They're brilliant in their own um, existence and that we should be more humble in our approach to the world because there's these other creatures that have um, such beauty in their existence, even if it's only for two years and not whatever.
1: And I actually, sorry, I'm very curious, but like what led you to read more about octopus? Like, I love that you're a promiscuous reader, so you just read everything, but like what led you to read more about Um, octopus?
3: A student of mine had responded to a quote that I had posted on Facebook about um, octopuses taking over the world. (laughs) And so she had asked me if I wanted to write like a treatise or something, a little bit on that, a story about that. And so I was imagining. Why would an octopus team up with an alien life form to take (laughs) over the world, right? And so I was, so I was reading for that reason to learn more about how, like, what would be the context in which (laughs) an octopus. Oh, I can't wait to hear. I would
0: never guess in a thousand years that that would be the reason why.
1: (laughs) <laughs> because I'm always finding question. ways to expand my literary journey. Like Chris is already, everyone that we've interviewed has made that habit. So that's going to be my, sorry, that'll be my takeaway because we're going to ask you guys. Yeah. What your take, my takeaway is getting out of my reading habits and and always reading more. There, I'm thankfully. I think I've started to remove the guilt, like since a couple years ago. So the guilt is no, not really there anymore. I've just accepted that I don't read as much, but I still read, which I love. But also, like I want to start reading about octopus now. <laughs> so yes.
0: Takeaway from this conversation. What What are you gonna walk out of the room with, and maybe your coffee later today mm. that you are like, you know, sharing from here.
2: Um, one is that it's a reminder that a lot of us want to connect with each other. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, uh, my honesty, um, is appreciated. I feel that here. And also that... Uh, I'm reminding myself not to feel bad that I don't know much about bell hooks. <laughs> so don't really.
1: I don't, I'm sure. People but- have
2: spoken about it. I'm a black woman. I feel like I'm supposed to know bell hooks. I know her existence. I've read a co- I don't really know about bell hooks. I feel guilty about that, but I won't She's anymore.
3: She's just a person. Yeah, she
2: is. <laughs>
1: I mean, I brought a Sylvia Plath book because I felt the same way about certain mental health, like, writers, mm. writers, not mental health, but writers in the mental health community. So I picked this up, and I've only read, like, very little bit of it. <laughs> so I feel the same way.
3: She went to my alma mater at Bryn Mawr, so she was required oh. reading. Mm, okay. <laughs> but the thing I most got of reading her was uh, at the time when I was deciding to lose my virginity, she was part of the instruction manual <laughs> because she was one of the few... Women who actually write about that process in a realistic way. Oh wow! Well. And so <laughs> I'm glad you had somebody. Yeah. That's
0: awesome. My, my takeaway is finding out what yeah. Sylvia Plath had to say about losing your. Yeah. Because I don't know. I'm
3: like... <laughs> she just describes it in ways that are more res- realistic than romance novels. Um, so your takeaway? Um, I, I the connection to books is the connection to. Um, Ourselves and so many possibilities of being um, and empathy, right? Mm-hmm. The ability for us to enter and exit um, the different spaces and consciousnesses of other people. And so always the voraciousness of my reading is that I learn how to connect with people right
1: mm. you know what's interesting is I don't know I'm sorry this conversation is never ending is i re- <laughs> I recently listened to a podcast about acting how acting um, is is in practice empathy. and so um so there's actually this whole uh, school of thought of like teaching acting to learn empathy blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. But now, yeah, of course, reading would be in the same if you if you read that way too though, right because you, when you're reading it so, um, solo and personal that you might not actually be picking up that you're putting yourself in someone else's other shoe. But, love it.
0: Beautiful. Thank you for being a part of Stay Reading. Thank
1: you. Thank
2: you very <laughs> much. I just want to say, Dory, thank you so much. I feel um, uh, blessed to be
0: part of your consciousness at the moment just to hear from you it's really nice. thank you thank you Chris for bringing us together oh and to have you all as a part of this conversation is amazing and like we part of stay reading is like you look at those articles or interviews where they ask like these great, you know, ask Michelle Obama, like, what's on your side table? What are you reading? And you're people that um, do so much in our city that we admire so much. And so to hear what you're reading is an is, uh, honor. So thank mm-hmm. you for thank discussing. You.
2: Thank you. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to Stay Reading. And if you want to find any of the titles we discussed today or learn more about our guests, you can always check at double underscore stay reading on Instagram.
1: And wherever you listen, don't forget to rate, Comment, subscribe and share.